Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Hey, welcome back, everybody. A lot of times in life, we continue doing something and we don't realize that it doesn't support us. It just becomes a habit and we're just kind of kind of just doing it over and over again. One of those things is stress and anxiety. And you may have started with a lot, then you just continue down a certain path. You don't realize that it's the same amount, but you're just dealing with it. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to impact your life like it does. And there are ways to reduce stress and anxiety. And we're going to learn about that today. He's somebody that helps a lot of people with that as a an amazing psychologist. Dr. Roger Levine is back with us. Roger, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm well, thank you. And this is something that we've we've talked about a little bit in the past, but it is so, so prevalent nowadays. People are dealing with just crazy amounts of stress and anxiety, um, and it's taking over their lives, but they might not even realize it because it just become a part of their life, but it doesn't really have to be, right? Correct. I think what a lot of people don't realize, if you ask them, they'd say, oh, I'm not stressed. It's because we habituate to stress. You know how people who live next to airports or trains stop hearing them after a while, right? But the problem is we get so used to it, we don't realize it's happening, Mm. which would probably not be so bad if it weren't for the long-term health effects. And then there's that. And we forget about that, but we are creating disease and other health and mental challenges within ourselves by dealing with this whole stress situation. How do we, what's the first steps to reduce it? How do we cut back on it? I guess the, the first step is awareness, right? Correct. And what I do, uh, I have a, a, a 10, one to 10 scale to help people recognize stress. And I'll kind of do the little brief version here. The, <clears throat> what happens is our stress response is actually uh, more in an engineering term in the sense that any demand on us, our body prepares for. It could be a good stress or a bad stress. Doesn't mean that it's unmanageable. Just means our body has to give us a little adrenaline and cortisol so we can manage it. And as we go through the day and there's more and more demands for the day, we have more and more adrenaline and cortisol in our system Mm. and our level of arousal comes up. So most people come to me because they, you know, they're having feelings that they're aware of and they want to feel normal. So what I consider normal level of arousal is you're not aware of your emotions. You're just going through the day and uh, you've habituated to enough arousal that you actually went to work or you went shopping, right? Because if you weren't aroused at all, you wouldn't you wouldn't, you'd be back on the couch. Okay. So you're saying that there was something that triggered you to go shopping. So that, that brought your level up. Um, I would say that's an average level. Yes. Right. When you're not aware of your emotion, right. You're just doing what you're supposed to be doing You're And, uh, it's <clears throat> at that point you're moving because the whole purpose of emo- emotions are to move, right? It, the emotion is a part of the name. Motion. Oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. They, okay. They either cause us to move towards something or away from something to get our needs met. 
So you've got enough emotion that you're at least moving because how often do we say, ah, I don't feel like going shopping now? And what, what I, would that, what would that um, illustrate if you were to say that? Well, you might be tired or you may just not be uh, in that big a need to go shopping, right? Yep. Or you could be on the other side of my scale, which if you're um, at level six, um, you're procrastinating, you're avoiding. In other words, what happens is at level four, when you're a little more aroused, say you have a deadline, mm. you know you're a little anxious and you know you're staying awake, right? Um, but you're performing better. And then five, you got a little more adrenaline and cortisol, so now you're worrying. So this might be where you have a little trouble going to sleep or you might be worried or anticipating troubles, but your mind is kind of in a loop. And then level six is procrastination. You're avoiding stuff. People beat themselves mercilessly for procrastinating mm. when they don't recognize that it's just the fact that they're that stressed. Up until level six, most people don't think they're stressed. They don't feel they're stressed until they get to level seven where they can actually really notice the physical symptoms of the tension in their body, or now their mind is telling them mm. they're anxious, or they're having trouble sleeping, or, or they're eating funny, or they're drinking. They're finally saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm stressed and anxious at level seven, but they've missed the warning signs at five and six between mm. the anticipation, the worrying, uh, or the procrastinating. What What is a a normal level? Can we call it that? What would that be? Well, I think what's normal is for it to go up and down, right? So uh, if we occasionally get a deadline and we feel a little anxious about it and work on it, that's one thing. But if every day we go to work with dread and mm. are mm. anxious and pushing like a deadline, then then it's no longer, uh, then we're in a stress situation. You mentioned work. So I want to, I want to center on that for just a moment, because a lot of times we don't really talk about that in, in general about workplace trauma, workplace issues, deadlines, quotas, causing stress and anxiety. And I have somebody who I'm very close to, um, who started a new job two months ago, a little more than two months ago, and it has completely changed her life for the worse. She's normally somebody who has a lot of anxiety. This has kind of just tipped her over the side in terms of just dealing with all of that anxiety, her normal anxiety, then work, then there's quotas, there was poor training, um, and she explained it to me. I'm like, that's not the way they train, you train people. They even told her, if you have a question, don't ask anybody. Just, just not a great company. So I get it. But at the moment, she needs that job. How does somebody like that deal with the, the stress? I mean, I will even tell you, it's gotten to the point, and she works from home for the most part. There's days where she's gone into the bathroom and had to throw up that much stress and anxiety. Short of leaving that job, how do you manage a situation like that if somebody's dealing with anxiety and, and stress from work? So <clears throat> one of the ways to do it is first of all, recognize that every demand on us has two types of coping, emotional coping and problem solving. Hmm. 
So what a lot of people do is they give up the emotional coping to give them more time to problem solve. The infamous, okay, I'm going to work later or I'm going to study in the evening so I'm better trained for the job, right? But at the same time that they're doing the problem solving coping, they're stealing from their emotional coping resources so they're not meeting with their friends. Maybe they're not taking the walk. They're not doing the things they need to do to allow their body to recover from the stress of the day. Mm. So one of the very first things you need to do is to make sure that you give your body a chance to metabolize the stress hormones from work, which means you have to stop work. You have to stop looking at the phone and you got to put in those things that help you cope with your stress hormones. So that would be things like walks, time with friends, probably not more screen time sure, and things like that. Maybe an exercise program, prayer, those kinds of things. When you have a lot of things that you allow to stress you out and cause an anxiety, like, all right, the job is doing it here. I got to worry about the kids. I got to worry about other situations. Um, the pool is green today. I, you know, I got to deal with that now. All of these things stack up. And I love what you said, your emotional resources. You know, it's like the, you know, you have a tank of only so much you can you can dispense to deal with these emotional situations. There's only so much in there. How do you how do you handle all of these different things at once that just it almost adds up to the the eight on the scale or nine that we're talking about? Well, I think that's exactly where we bring ourselves. Once you get to a five and you start thinking. You can think a lot faster than you can do. Hmm. So maybe I can only solve one problem in the next 10 to 15 minutes, but I'm going to think about 20. And every time I think about the 19 that I'm doing nothing, I'm pumping more adrenaline and cortisol. And so I have more stress for that thing than I really need. So one of the most important things is to have some form of mantra to kind of keep your thinking in check. Um, one of the best is what can I control? What can I change right now? Because we'll get caught up at the bill I can't pay or the report I can't get done. And we make more trouble because we're not doing the thing that's right in front of us. So maybe I can't change any of these things, the green pool or anything right now. Maybe I can take a five minute walk and calm down mm-hmm. or maybe I can't. Uh, get that report done, but at least I can knock out two pieces of mail so that I won't have them haunting me tomorrow. So again, when the mind starts racing, Mm. really, really focus on what is it that I can control and change right now. Baby steps. That's what it sounds like. Take care of, take care of this, then that, and try to, instead of try to conquer it all. What I did learn from the person that I'm referring to is that she lets these things bounce around in her head. Like she's even worrying about something a year from now. I'm not even kidding in terms of her, her home situation. And I said, you have a year, you know, you have a year financial resources up to then and more. Why are you worrying about it now? Because you have other things that you need to take care of now. But I see that it's, she's trying to think of all of this stuff all at once. And it just, leads to, I think, confusion, frustration, and and coping with the, the stress. 
What about writing things down so it's in front of you? And it's almost as if you have a roadmap or a clear blueprint of, of what you've got to deal with. One of the um, examples I give my clients, I ask them, I have a little problem for you to solve. I would like you to divide 3,767 by 53. And they look at me puzzled, right? And I said, would you try to do that without paper and pencil? And they say, no way. And I said, so why are you trying to do emotional coping all in your head? Mm. Yeah. Right. We have these tools that really can help us. And one of the biggest is putting it down on paper because it'll become much more right sized. And secondarily, we light up more neurons in our brain to process it with. Yep. And I have to believe too, once you write it down, your problem isn't as big as you thought it was. Because it 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 didn't take a um, materialistic shape until you wrote it down. It was just up here. Seems like you got some experience there. I'm just making this up. <laughs> I just <laughs> I'm just thinking about what will would do it. You know, because people don't write things down anymore. Right, but I think the uh, back to your example, how important it is to keep bringing it back to the present moment. Um in terms of what can she change. If she was embracing that mantra, then she wouldn't continue to think about what's she going to do a year from now. Right? Yes, exactly. And I've, I've tried to help her and, and explain all of this. And the next thing I'm going to well, tell her is to call you <laughs> because it's, well, the, the key to remember here is that the midbrain where our emotions are, do not process thoughts. Tell me, tell us more about that. It processes sensations. The midbrain. Uh, define that. It's where we call the limbic region, where we have um, our emotional centers and our memories. But the emotional centers work on sensations. So that's why talk therapy or talking to your friend is not that helpful. What probably is more helpful is the feeling of safety that you create by just giving her a safe place and the energy because she can pick up on that, right? She said that before, I feel safe with you. Exactly. Yeah. So the way you can change those sensations in your brain and the reason um, she, her mind is trying to find this danger a year out is because as she works up the adrenaline and cortisol, more and more tension and sensations occur in her body that goes to her brain, that tells her brain, hey, you're in real danger. You have to find the lion. You have to find the big thing, right, to save yourself. So she's responding to the physical sensations in her body, even though we're talking about what's her life going to be in the future, right? So this is why having a good eight-minute breathing exercise is so important because if you have conditioned your body, and there's a lot of different breath exercises, but for most people, if they're getting kind of worked up and they can't keep their mind on their work, if they just could take five to eight minutes to do a good breathing exercise, it'll change the sensations in the body It'll trigger the body to go into a relaxed state, and then their thinking will clear up. When you say breathing exercise, Roger, do you mean like, you know, example, 
five, five, seven. Exactly. Okay. And that would be five seconds of breathing in five seconds of holding it and then seven seconds of releasing it. That's a, a good breathing technique. What I do with most of my clients just to get them started is I just have them pay attention to their breath to begin with. And so that they know I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out. Then I have them count up, count two in, two out, three in and three out, and then three in, hold for three, three out, and then work up to three in, hold for three, out for four. Mm. And the reason I do that is because if you're really anxious and you're you're tight, you'll worry about doing the breathing exercise correctly yeah. and you'll become almost paralyzed, right? So you need to start right where you are. And the only important thing is that your, your brain gets oxygen. And the purpose of the, of the holding it is when you hold your breath or create tension anywhere in your body and then release it, uh, a physiological phenomenon is that you release more tension than you created. So the exhale, I would imagine, is probably the most important part of all of this because you're letting it go? I would say probably getting oxygen in is the most important part. Okay. The reason uh, for all these breath exercises have people longer exhales, right, is it slows the breathing process down. It's the easiest point to intervene to slow the breathing down. It's easier to slow down your exhale than when you're anxious slowing down your inhale. Is it is this impactful because when somebody is stressed out, they're taking typically like shallow breath? They're taking shallow breath and also their mind <clears throat> isn't focused on the present. Mm, By doing uh, the breathing exercise back to if I'm counting my breaths, I'm not thinking about what is my family going to be like a year from now. Yeah. Totally. It's, uh, and it seems so simple, but it's not even about, and I'm not the expert here. It, it's not even about just the breathing. It's what it actually does for you. Like you could focus on anything, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to think about this pen right now. I'm not thinking about the future. This pen right here has a cap closes like that, but the breathing actually does something as I understand it, to it's almost like a reset button. Physically resets your your mind. It re it triggers the parasympathetic to relax. It turns on your relaxation response. Now, one way of thinking that because people expect, oh, I'm going to do the breathing and I'll notice that I'm not tense anymore. Not exactly the same. If I went away and I turned my thermostat you know, up to uh, 82, so I wouldn't be ACing while I'm away. When I come home and I set the thermostat back to 74, right, It's it'll kick on the AC and it'll start the process to cool the apartment. Well, when we get oxygen to the brain, it turns on the relaxation response but it takes 20 to 25 minutes for our body to metabolize the stress hormones. And I think that's where breathing gets a bad rep is that people don't realize that it takes another 20 or 25 minutes from when you get that oxygen to your brain to turn it on to actually feel the difference. Let's go over that again, because I've never in hearing about breathing 
for years, I've never heard that lag in time. So am I understanding this correct? You do the breathing technique for five to eight minutes, whatever it is. It takes 20 minutes for it to actually make an impact within you? No, you'll feel some benefit, right? But the reason you're feeling very anxious is because you have a lot of adrenaline and cortisol. And the reason you can't let go of the thoughts and your worries is because the adrenaline hijacks your brain to focus on the threat. Because if you were really under threat of, say, a bear or something, you wouldn't want to be distracted. Mm. So what happens is, you know, if you're down at a four and you do the breathing for five minutes, you're going to feel okay in a very short period of time. But if you're really worried or you're procrastinating or you're very anxious, you have a lot of adrenaline in, and maybe, you know, a few minutes of breathing will bring you from being very anxious just down to wanting to avoid everything, but you'll still feel the tension. I use the example of alcohol. If you drink enough that you're slurring your words because the alcohol has an effect on your brain, the only solution is to wait for your body to metabolize enough for you to quit slurring your words. So if you've had enough adrenaline in your brain that you're hyper worrying and you got to feel like you get out and you got a lot of tension, you got to give your body time to metabolize that adrenaline. Wow. See, it was my perception that the breathing techniques are somewhat instantaneous and I get that it'll make you feel better and faster too if you're at a lower stress level. Um, but yeah, it makes perfect sense. You take a medication, it doesn't work right away. <laughs> it takes time. Your body needs to metabolize the med and then you see the benefit of it. Um, and 20 minutes is, is reasonable, you know, if you're dealing with something. Yeah. And the other thing is that the breathing exercise also keeps you from escalating. Mm. If you're at a five already, and if you don't do the breathing exercise, you're just going to escalate to a six or a seven, right? So it also helps immediately in the sense that it arrests going deeper into the stress or the anxiety. Wow. So say your friend at work gets criticized by her boss, right? Sure. Instant hit of adrenaline and cortisol. She's been threatened. Mine's going to start racing. Going to worry, am I going to keep this job? If I lose this job, where am I going to live? If I can't live there, or my rents are so high, you know, I'll never get married, never have a kid, blah, blah, blah. You know how the thinking goes, right? Yep. But if instead, in that moment the, that you're feeling that uh, stress, you take five to eight minutes and really focus on your thoughts, then you're not going to be kicking in more adrenaline and cortisol and really building it up. Gives your body, it starts that clock on the 20 minutes. So within a half hour, you're back to functioning at work and able to pay attention to what you're mm-hmm. doing instead of losing, you know, a couple hours and then putting yourself that much farther behind. It almost sounds like you're putting a block up. As soon as you start the breathing process, you're putting the block up to stop any further stress or anxiety at that moment. And then now you're trying to mitigate, trying to release. The hardest skill is to learn how to stop. Thinking about that and putting it into perspective with all different situations. Addiction, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. hmm, Interesting. Yeah, because 
you know, your mind is telling you, you got to go. I got to get all these things done, which is part of the fight or flight, right? Emotion. It's making you move. I got to go. I got to go. I got to keep going. I got to push. I got to solve this. I got to fix it. I got to get out of here. Whatever the mind is, it wants you to move. And that's the purpose of the adrenaline and cortisol. The problem is it's moving you farther and farther into the anxiety and stress. Wow. Uh, I've never heard all of this put the way you put it. Um, and again, I've heard breathing techniques and all of that, but learned a lot today, Roger. Um, and it, it, I have to be honest, when we first started talking about stress and anxiety, and we've hit it before, I'm thinking to myself, eh, we got to fill a full podcast doing that. We could keep going. We're out of time. We could keep going. <laughs> Just good stuff. Um, somebody wants to, to work directly with you and, um, and make some changes with all of this. How do they do that? They just go to your website? They go to my website, drlevine.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-L-A-V-I-N-E.com. Why would anybody want to continue living with stress and anxiety? It's just, aside from changing your quality of life, it's making you sick like literally making you sick. And you might not even know it because it might not uh, manifest until later in life. And that could be, you know, a week or a year or whatever. And I'm sure you've seen examples of that, right? And most of my clients say, wow, I didn't know in a few weeks of learning these new skills, I could actually regulate my emotions and I had control over this. I really thought that the only, my only answer would be to take medication. Yes. And as you said the word, I was thinking it, control. Take control of your life. It's stress. <laughs> Don't let it take control of you and anxiety as well. Roger, thank you so much for, for being here today. Really appreciate all the details. Have a great day. Thank you. you. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. It's Thursday night and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.